well, we have legal backing. We have it's a legal binding contract, and so they can't do that. They cannot do it, and um, and that's what we don't have right now. So no matter the leadership in faculty senate, no matter these bylaws that they're doing that they're revising, which you know that's some good work to be done, but you know there's nothing that says that the district has to listen to us. Hello, this is Jason Roach again, and welcome back to the ACE Pod, a production of the Association of Clovis Educators. On this episode, we want to discuss the Faculty Senate. First, we would like to honor our teacher colleagues that work tirelessly on our behalf as part of this organization. Their advocacy is truly appreciated, and I imagine the work is often quite thankless. It is an organization that I am sure for which we are all grateful. And furthermore, I'm sure we would all agree that a body that represents the voice of educators is a vital part of any school district. With that said though, we feel that the Faculty Senate is just not enough. It's not enough because it is undermined by significant structural flaws. Flaws in the amount of power that it has and flaws in the scope of who it represents. These flaws cannot be revised away because they are built into the foundations of the organization. And I can think of no one better to help us sort through the Faculty Senate than our guest today, Amy Kilburn. Amy is a veteran Clovis educator currently teaching at Rayburn Intermediate. She offers us a unique insider's perspective with many years of experience as a faculty senator and as an elected member of the Faculty Senate Executive Board. Amy? Welcome to the ACE Pod. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. Yeah. Hey, so let's start with uh, you just talking about your, your Clovis Unified journey. Tell us how you got here. Well, um, I am a Clovis kid through and through. I went to Tarpey, went to Kasner, and I'm a part of the first graduating class from Buchanan High. That was a real honor and um really a fun part of my educational experience. And um, then I, you know, my mom worked in the district. My mom is like a, you know, a very well-respected and valued educator. She uh, dedicated her life to our district and did some really great things. And so it was really fun to go to school in a district where my mom worked so hard and so, um, and gave back to our community. Then I uh, went to Fresno State and um, I, you know, I never intended on being a teacher. That was not my goal. I was going to art school. And then when I was a senior in high school, my mom took, she used to take that trip with kids to Washington DC and New York. And I went as a chaperone and I kind of was like, hey, this is cool. This is really cool. I hadn't seen it that way. I always just saw her classroom when I'd walk back to it after um, like from Kasner to Lincoln and it was empty and she was just in there doing her classwork and stuff like that. Or if I'd walk from Buchanan to her office, you know, I never really saw her interacting with kids. So that was a really cool experience. And then I thought, oh, I'm, I could be an art teacher. And then I fell in love with literature in college and found myself becoming none of like not an art teacher, <laughs> you know, not, an, not going to art school and um, landed in teaching. What, what, what kind of, what kind of art did you do? I liked painting and just kind of, you know, really painting. That was, that was one of my main lanes. So 
but my great grandmother was an artist. And so she would, you know, fiddle with lots of things like ceramics and just crafting and building things together with wood and all kinds of stuff. And then my grandmother was a seamstress. Like she did all of, you know, hand beading on wedding dresses and just different stuff like that. So whenever I would go to their houses when I was little, we were always doing something like creating something from nothing. Hmm. Yeah. Now you're, so full disclosure, Amy is my, my son's teacher at Rayburn Intermediate. Your kind of welcome screen makes a whole lot more sense now. Like one of your like things you wanted to learn how to do, right. Whereas different types of art. Um, Mm -hmm. So what's, uh, what's that different type of art that you would like to learn? Oh, that's right. Sorry, you're right. That question. So every day I pose a different question to the kids. Um, what's some, and the other day when you saw it, it was, what's something you'd like to learn? And I said, some, a different type of art. And I really get my watercolors muddled when I'm painting with watercolors. And so I'd like to just um, take some classes on making sure that I don't, I, you know, they're vibrant and they um, don't just get into a puddle, muddled mess on the, on the paper. So that's nice. what I like to do. Yeah. So aside from your uh, family, who's your favorite artist? Well, that varies. Like right now, um, I like this woman out of San Francisco. Her name is Jen. It's Radit, uh, Radici Studios. And she uh, does all of her stuff is done on this like pan colored paper because we're all some shade of pan. And so she does really amazing prints that are people. And so even my, uh, my little icon for Zoom is one of her, one of her paintings. And it says, um, it's a woman standing in this black abyss with these stars. And it says, um, even in the darkest moments, look for the light. Hmm. So I love her messages and how simple her, her paintings are. But right now she's my favorite. Love nice. Her. That seems really relevant right now too. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about Rayburn. What do you, you currently teach at Rayburn? What do you love about, about working at Rayburn Intermediate? Well, I never, again, I'm one of those people. I never thought I'd be a middle school teacher. Uh, I really never, middle school was like the worst experience for me. And when I tell people that I teach middle school, they're like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, I actually love it. Um, I love that we're at a 712 center and I get to see these, you know, mighty eighth graders come in after they've transitioned from sixth to seventh, and then they're, they feel like they're the big man, woman, person on campus, and, um, and then they grow to these adults. They really are adults when they leave our center, and so that transformation at our site is amazing to me. It's a, it's a gift, I think, for us, for us as educators to really see these young people develop into these adults. And the other thing I truly love, I would never work as much as I love all of our educators across the district and all of our sites. I love the diversity at our site so much. I, I just, I love, I love our community and the diversity and the message of kindness that's on our campus. And so that's, I, I wouldn't want to work anywhere else. Yeah, no doubt. Like Clovis East and Rayburn, the Reagan Educational Complex is a special place to work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not only um, are you a middle school teacher, but you spent quite a bit of time working in faculty senate. And um, could you just spend a little time and trying to explain 
what the faculty senate is? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I started um, my journey down the Senate path because I thought we need a union. It was a real like flippant thought I had in my head. And I'm not one to just have um, that flippant thought and then act. I want to really dig into something before I make a big decision like that. And so I thought it's really ridiculous of you to say that. Um, I'll give you an example of what I mean when I say dig into it. I have my master's in math and science and uh, education. And the reason why I did that is because I was afraid of math. And I thought you should never be afraid of a book and so and knowledge. And so I went and I got my master's in math and science with um, a couple educators that are on our campus. And I don't teach any math or science. What I learned is I can do it. You should never be afraid of it, that it challenges you to think about different things. Uh, you know, in a different way, but I would never teach it. <laughs> and so that's what I mean when I dig into something, I really am going to go into it. So I started, I ran for a Senate position and I got it. And so then I thought my job is to make sure the teachers at my side are educated about what's going on in the district. And um, so that organization is a conglomerate of educators across, I should, let me, let me um, rephrase that. It's actually teachers across this district. So that's a big difference about what we are talking about and as we move forward. It's a variety of teachers that are on um, this, this group that does try to do good work and they're elected by their sites to bring forward what they think are concerns. Uh, and um, I used to call it teacher topics because concern has such a negative connotation, but really what, what are some of the things that teachers in our district are focused on. And most of those times, those focused, those things that come forward are rooted in making the environment better for our kids. And so as, so we have that body, that faculty senate group, and then there's an executive board. And I uh, eventually, as I was being a senator, you know, we get emails beyond emails. And so a lot of people don't read them. So I used to make my senate notes really funny. Uh, at least I tried to. And so I would like put stuff in there like email Mr. Roach what your favorite boy band is, you know, and stuff. And so you would get like, you know, a bazillion emails. Uh, and I thought that was funny, but you may not have. But um, our colleagues would read the notes and then, you know, then they were more informed. So I, that, that's, that's how I did it. And then based on that, I um, became an executive board member still going down this path of, okay, if we're, this is our organization, we can make it better. We can work hard on this committee and we can be a collaborative voice at the table so that those who are removed from the classroom and have been removed from the classroom for a very long time will lean on us because we are the ones who are there now. And so I started as the, I think I was a communications officer first and maybe not, I don't, no, but I, I think I might have been. And then just for a short period of time, and then I became the secretary. And at that point in time, the president um, worked with our site principal and got me release time. And I had, so I was 60% um, in the classroom and 40% release time so that I could go and um, be in committee meetings during the day and meet with um, executive board members, not sorry, um, meet with, you know, executive cabinet members. And then, um, and, and maybe visit sites, talk to teachers, get ready for meetings, do all the kind of work that, that it needs. So 
And then I, I ended up as the faculty senate vice president and I resigned in September of 2020 um, because I, what I've been telling people is I felt that I needed to, I knew a lot of people were, um, I was hearing from a lot of people that were, were trusting Senate because you're on it, Amy. And I just wanted to maintain my integrity and I needed to resign from that position so that they didn't look at me, they looked at the organization. Okay, so let's, uh, before we kind of get to that resignation and what brought you to that. So, you know, I think a couple terms kind of demand some definition here. So what is the Faculty Senate Executive Board and, you know, what, what do they do? So we have kind of these elected site senators, right, that come from all the different sites. Um, and what's the representation? Is there a formula for how many like uh, senators a site gets or? Okay, yes, um, I'm writing these down so I remember and say on topic what, okay. So um, the site senators, the way that it's allocated right now is that there is one elementary site representative for each site. And then at the junior high level, there is three representatives and there are four representatives at the high school level. And so, that, so just to clarify, right? So, you know, Clovis East High School is, um, I think, significantly bigger than Clovis West, right? Mm -hmm. But the representation is not based on population, right? So not, not based on population. We tried to for um, a while, and I actually believe that it's in the bylaws, but they are going through and revising the bylaws that they would like senators at the high school level to be from different departments. But it was a struggle to get people to run. So we were, they had four representatives from each site. We were good with that. So four, three, one, right, is kind of high school, middle school, elementary. And um, what about special ed? Well, just recently, special ed um, was given representation. Um, they had one person prior to that, and she served the entire district, which I think is an astronomical task. Uh, so we had one site representative per area for SPED. So they had the Clovis West SPED rep, the Clovis East SPED rep, Clovis North, and so on, just one for each area. So if the SPED rep was at ORAS, say, in the Clovis East area, hmm. and you had a concern and you were at the, at, at the rec, um, you'd have to coordinate time, you know, to come together to right. meet with your rep. Right. It, it wasn't an easy process. Okay. And then, um, and then what about teachers on special assignment? That's another difficult situation. We, uh, we did have a, a spot, but that is a difficult spot to fill because there's so few of them and they work at the district office level. And so if there were concerns, they, the, the confidentiality, not confidentiality, that's not it, but the, the anonymity, uh, you know, it, they, they hemmed and hawed and they hesitated on it because if they had a complaint, they felt like people are gonna know it's them. And so that was a very, very difficult position to fill. But, um, and so sometimes it went unfilled, but it is, there is a spot there for them and, uh, and it is currently filled. Okay, good. Now, what about psychologists? No. Well, they're one of the SPED reps 
was a psychologist, but that, 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 that didn't continue. And I don't, I can't speak to that. I'm not exactly sure as to why, but that was, that person no longer served in that spot and it was filled. Okay. So there is no kind of representation like officially or structurally for psychologists, Cal exactly. counselors, no counselors, nurses, no nurses. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's classroom teachers, um, with one TSA spot and then, you know, the five kind of special ed, uh, representatives. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, good. Now, um, so, you know, thanks that I think that kind of clears up that part. Now, what is the executive board then? The executive board is, was made up of two communication officers. And I say was because they are revising the bylaws. So there could be a change. Um, two communications officers, a parliamentarian, secretary, the vice president, and the president. Three of those positions have release time. The president is a full-time release. The vice president is a 40% release. And so was the secretary when I resigned. And you know, what, what do they do on, like what would a day look like for like the faculty senate president? I, I you know, honestly, I don't know. Uh, and I am sure that there, uh, there was work that was completed and done, but uh, it was not ever really communicated with me or shared with me. I can tell you, I can speak to what I did. I, I know that our president at the time had a good working relationship with upper administration. And I know that there were teachers in this district that leaned on him significantly. And so I, um, I do know that that work was done. And then as vice president, well, well, what would you have done like on a daily basis? On a daily basis for me, what I did is I, you know, obviously taught in the morning and, uh, you know, then I, but the emails come, you know, so while you're teaching the emails come. So in the afternoon, uh, a lot of my time was filled with responding to the emails, following up on questions that were asked of me, meeting with teachers that were having issues, you know, that with their site administration, or concerns about how uh, committees were processing things. That, that's how I spent a lot of my time and then also on committee work. So preparing for that committee work, you know, if there was, um, you know, and then also preparing for our meetings. So if there were tasks to be done to prepare, I used that time to do it. It was difficult to meet with teachers during my release time because they're in the classroom. But the, there were times when, you know, an administrator was meeting with a teacher and they asked me to be there. And so they would get the, the teacher a sub and I would go in and I would be a person in the room for that, that teacher. And um, so those are the things that I would do. Advocacy for teachers, meetings. Uh, I had standing meetings with curriculum and instruction, um, HR. Uh, I think bi-monthly I had them and um, also with um, the superintendent and the deputy superintendent. And, you know, so the executive board, um, you know, I know there's these kind of big meetings with the executive board and all the senators, you know, how often do those take place? And then what's the kind of goal of those meetings? So we had faculty senate meetings monthly 
And then there are area meetings that I believe happen twice a year. And area meetings are when the area soups, they have met together, have a unified agenda. And so when they come out and meet with their reps of their area, they're all sharing basically the same information, but how it pertains to those areas. I actually really liked those meetings. They were smaller. And I felt like it really built a very good relationship with uh, the area superintendent and their senators. Um, and I was over the Clovis East area for quite some time. And that was one of my goals as the executive board member who oversaw an area. I thought, what, what's something that we can do? And we can build a really good, strong relationship between our representatives and our administrators. And to this day, I do believe that they still have a very solid open door um, conversation with each other. Um, so that's one meeting. Then the other meeting, the um, larger meeting where the entire body comes together and the executive board leads that, that is really a disseminating of in information. There's not, there's not a lot of collaborative conversations at those. It's more of a stand and deliver approach. We did try to facilitate some bit of feedback from our representatives, which would be like they would write on a post-it, something, you know, you know, there, you know, usually within the year, there, there's these themes like teacher transfer time, you know, and so we would have information, you know, a post, a paper up for them to write on post-its, like questions that they'd want asked about teacher transfer time. So trending topics like that, that, um, you know, that were always, uh, the climate assessment was another big one, you know, about, the, and there's, there's with times within the year that those come up. And so we would anticipate those and that would be part of our agenda, but it, the agenda was not crafted based on feedback necessarily from the sites. It was more about initiatives or direct direction from the district office. Hmm. Okay, so it would be kind of top down the meeting. What do you kind of think about these things? They would elicit feedback, and then what would you know? Would that feedback then go to executive cabinet? And then maybe part of that question is you know. What is executive cabinet? Okay, so yes, yes, it it would to a point, you know. Um, and again, you know, it's really hard. This is a, a bit of a hard spot to be in because I wasn't the president, you know. And I I I don't exactly know, but I know that the secretary and I spent a good chunk of time, like she did, actually typing up the questions and making sure that they were ready and accessible for administration to answer. And they did, they did answer them and we tried to get them back but it it wasn't it it wasn't a system that was um it was a flawed system and so we tried the best we could but it i think that there was there's that's a growth area definitely um executive cabinet consists of our superintendent emer o'farrell dr o'farrell norm anderson barry jager michael johnston steve ward Debbie Parra might be in there, but, um, and she's head of curriculum. And then also, I believe, um, Corinne Fulmer now, who's leadership, and then also um, Dr. Castillo, Robin Castillo, who is now over special ed. So all the associate superintendents, I believe, are part of the executive cabinet. And so what, um, you know, what role would the the faculty said president or you know the executive board members play in executive cabinet. I never sat in on those meetings. I don't. I, I don't know uh, that. 
I, what my understanding is that the, that is the body that makes the decision of the direction that our district will go in. They, they are, you know, the driving force. If they want character counts, then, you know, that's an initiative that will come from that body, that group, and then it will go down to division, uh, which is another meeting that has uh, Corinne Fulmer, she now leads, which is all the leadership. So the um, area soups, some directors sometimes come in there and they decide how a program or a directive from cabinet will be implemented. So executive cabinet comes up, let's go with character counts, right? They're like, we want this to happen at our sites. So then they give that idea to division. They're, they say, hey, here's this idea, let's go for it, figure it out. And they hash it out in that room. It's, uh, it's I, I always called it, you know, it is called division, but I thought it was an appropriate name because on Thursdays, they're locked in these meetings. All these people who are our decision makers in the district are locked in a meeting pretty much from like eight to two, eight to one. So no decisions, you can't get anything anything answered or you know anything because they're all in the meeting they're divided it's division they're divided from the district right and um and so but that group would be the one that would decide how they're going to do it and so then the area suits can go out to their principals and say this is what we're doing this is how we're doing it uh how does it look at your site you know and then that site-based administration comes into play okay so executive cabinet makes these you know, hey, this is where we want to go. We want character counts. That goes to division. Is faculty senate in on those, on division? Yes, faculty senate has a seat at the table. The president does. Okay, so, and, then, and this, I mean, I get, guess gets to, right? So in, uh, I think it was October or November, and I, I believe it was Michael Johnston kind of responded to a series of questions from the faculty senate kind of about, um, you know, related to the kind of the remote work agreement and not extending that into the, the, the second semester. Um, and in one of the responses, you know, it, it, it clearly kind of stated that, hey, this is faculty senate has a seat um, in this meeting division, but it is not a voting position. So does that mean, right, like uh, executive cabinet makes a decision it goes to division for, you know, discussion, and and then what is what's the role of the president if it's not a voting of the faculty senate president if it's not a voting position? So I I did sit in one of those meetings uh, long ago, and it is advisory. We're advisory, and so they would cut. You know, I remember there they were discussing it was um, testing testing calendar and schedule. And I, you know, I offered my suggestion and thoughts on it, but, you know, it, it's just part of the dialogue and part of the conversation. So it's one teacher in the room right. with, um, you know, administration who, you know, they can, they can say, yeah, that's a great idea or nope, nope, we're not doing that. But I want to add too, though, that even, you know, one thing that we did do, we did have, is we had standing meetings with Emer and the deputy and Barry on a regular basis. And so monthly, uh, where we would come in and it was just the Senate um, executive board meeting, uh, the three people with release time. So the president, vice president, and secretary. And that was a, you know, I think is a very valuable conversation. Uh, it's the three of us with the three of them. And they're asking, what are you hearing? What's going on? How, 
you know, this happened? What do we think? And so it's usually about an hour to an hour and a half. And that, that to me, when they say there's a seat at the table or faculty senate is involved, I think that's where I feel that, that they, that they're referencing. Okay. All right. Now, you know, so, I mean, I, I don't know if this is related, but you kind of mentioned your kind of resignation as vice president. So, you know, kind of how does all this, like uh, how did kind of this structure, everything we just talked about, how does it play into that? that final decision to resign from, you know, the fi wow. faculty senate executive board. Okay, you know, yes. <laughs> so, you know, it. I went into this with that mindset of, you know, we need a union, but also with the idea that I, I, I'm, I'm a servant leader. <laughs> you know, I really do believe that. And I'm, I, you know, you and I have done work together on different committees and different things. And you know, I'm like, it's really odd for me to be the only one on this one because you know, I'm the one who will take the step back. Like I don't, I, I offer maybe a pathway to an opportunity to have a conversation. And, and so um, I'm, I struggled very much with watching my fellow teachers accessing the system on a, a number of situations, be it, you know, the literature list, the approved book list, or remote work agreements, um, you know, just a variety of things and be repeatedly dismissed, like dismissed. And um, I do believe that we hire the best. I am a Clovis kid through and through. I'm a, you know, the third generation of Kilburn is going through the hallways of this district. I love this district. Um, but the people who are advocating for faculty senate to continue are really advocating for us to not have a voice. And when I say voice, I don't mean that you have to, you know, you have to change your, your pathway forward, but we, there has to be true collaboration. There's not. And so when people are really advocating for that faculty senate to stay, what they're advocating for is for us to continue to work in an environment where we're undervalued, under-respected, um, and dismissed repeatedly. And that's why I'm really passionate about this. I, I, I do not at all see a pathway forward for Senate um, and for people. I think those are two completely opposite concepts to, to really think that we, we hire the best and we have the best educators and we love this place and then to be accepting of the fact that educators who want to make things better for kids get dismissed. Those two things exist together in Faculty Senate and they won't exist together with ACE. Okay, so I, I mean, I think this raises a good question, right? So, you know, clearly there are, you know, there are, you know, educators out there, right, that are opposed to us unionizing. But I think you would, you'd be hard pressed to find an educator in the district that doesn't agree with the need for some sort of kind of represent representative body for, you know, teachers, right? So, yes. you know, um, even the folks that are kind of actively engaged in anti-union work believe in faculty senate, right? They believe that we need representation. Yes. Um, and they also believe that 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 faculty senate, you know, requires some some upgrades, some you know yes. important improvements, I think, is the kind of term that's been used. You know, why, why, why can't that work? So 
back in September when I was still a part of it, I, I felt that exact same way. Actually, I revised the bylaws 100% a while ago, like two years ago. Like I, I was all in, you know, and uh, when I revised the bylaws, I, and, and there were a couple of us who worked on it, but we did it off the hours and stuff, but, but we, were, we were met with no. No, because there's a cost to it. There's a cost to the revisions. There were, I, we, when we looked at it, it was six APUs, six additional APUs for Senate. And if you're not sure what an APU is, one APU equals the salary of a teacher. And so we were asking for the salary of six teachers to upgrade faculty Senate. Now, you know, are all of those suggestions necessary and required? I thought that they were, but somebody could argue that they're not. Like, you know, th that's a debatable, situation just because the team of two of us thought that this was the pathway forward that's not how I, I am if somebody looks at that and sees hey what about this I'm open for the collaborative conversation and the suggestions but what happens is whenever you come forward with an idea like that you are met with no and there's no recourse they can just say no and that's literally what happened I I, I showed them to um, and, uh, you know, an administrator at the time and uh, thought that they were great, great revisions, great, um, uh, you know, improvements to faculty senate, but the cost was not acceptable. And so they went nowhere and there was nowhere for me to go to say, hey, this is what's going on. Even if you go to the senate body and say that they have no recourse, they can't, you know, um, they could take a poll and say that they want the bylaws to be evaluated, you know, and looked at and processed, but there's nothing that says that the, um, the executive cabinet has to follow what that poll says, you know, so there's, there's no legal reason why. And, and here's the other part of this. I think that administrators are wonderful people. I, I had great relationships with all of them, most of them. And um, I think the structure allows for this type of stuff to continue. So the structure basically, right, is that um, you know, you, district administration has unilateral, unilateral control, right? And there is no, you know, there is no kind of avenue for kind of faculty senate or to kind of uh, like leverage some power, right? So if yes. faculty senate comes forward with an idea, then the district can just dismiss it out of hand. Right? Yes, yes. And uh, a, un a union would do what then? Well, we have legal backing. We have It's a legal binding contract. And so they can't do that. They cannot do it. And, um, and that's what we don't have right now. So no matter the leadership in faculty Senate, no matter these bylaws that they're doing, that they're revising, which, you know, that's some good work to be done, but, you know, there's nothing that says that the district has to listen to us. And I, I, I've been saying this lately, you know, the school, there's, there's all levels of accountability in our structure in Clovis, you know, the teachers and, um, Ed educators on our site are held accountable by our community, by our students, by our peers, and by our administrators. We're evaluated. The governing board is held accountable by our community because they vote, are voted in. There is no accountability for administration, none. 
None, not at all. And people could argue that faculty senate holds them accountable and we can. I mean, I've had some pretty gritty conversations with some administrators, but after that conversation, nothing happens. There's not that we are greeted with on a repeated basis. We hear you um, or we're not hearing that. And that ends the conversation and it can in this structure and it will in this structure that we find ourselves unless we move forward with ACE. Okay, so to kind of, you know, I think that covers one of the, the structural components, right? To unionization, mm -hmm. you know, gives a body similar to faculty senate kind of the legal authority to kind of uh, make binding agreements, right? Um, the second thing is, right, is um, who, who, do, who do faculty senators and the executive board, who do they work for? Well, they would argue that they work for the teachers at their site, but they're paid by the district. <laughs> so, you know, um, that honestly was never like a thought in my mind, but I can see how if you are a released person, on a regular basis and you're not connected to a site, everybody wants to have a connection, you know, it's human nature. And so if you're just, you know, walking around the district office and that's your place, then those become your colleagues, you know, and then they are, you become your friends and, um, and they pay you. So you're going to be a little bit more like-minded than um, who you are paid by. Right? right and who who holds you accountable the educators so so i i think the argument can be made that senators are stipend by the district the executive board with release time are paid by the district and so they work for the district and if the district right now decided well we don't even want faculty senate anymore could they just unilaterally 100%. just it would just be gone it would be gone 100 percent and, but because they know we're doing this work, I, and there have a great love campaign going on right now, you know, um, I would argue that they're going to try to lift it up and support it mm -hmm. and say lots of things about the old, old um, executive board. And that was, that was the problem, the old leadership, because uh, all of the board as of now has resigned they have a new board except for the parliamentarian, she has continued on, but, um, but yeah, they, they can now just swing the narrative that it was the former leadership that caused the problems and not the structure. And it's not former leadership. I knew those people and they worked really hard. Everybody works really hard in that structure. And I, I can see why they think that it could work because you're working hard at something. Nobody wants to think when you're working hard at something, it's not working. But if you take a moment and look at it and really dig in and, and find out what, how it works, what's going on, what you'll realize is it's a false, um, it's a false, uh, you know, false, false sense of efficacy, right there. Yes. You know, right. Yes. Or, or, and like a, like a, not a collaborative, everybody says it's collaborative, you know, and it's really not, it's not. And even on the committees, like this was one of the things that I was um, starting to look into and think about and dissect as to why it is this way. It, you know, when you're on a committee and on paper, it looks really good. And I even think it's a really good idea, but it, it needs some improvement is, you know, like the calendar committee has a board member on it. It has, you know, custodial crew members on it. It has uh, bus drivers, teachers, um, 
administrative assistants, upper admin, like we, truly there's, there's a huge representative group in that, in that meeting. And like, I'll give you an example. I would never think about the track meet for graduations that, that state track meet that happens at Buchanan. And so as to why our calendar has to be the way it is. And so they're like, listen, we cannot put this equipment on the grass because when graduation happens, I'm like, well, that makes total sense. You know, that's not in my lane as a teacher, but when it comes to challenging some of those administrators on that committee, everybody kind of gets quiet, you know? And so is it truly collaborative? There's, there's, um, I've said it in a lot of meetings, there's a, there's a strong level of fear in this district and you can see it on the committees right now. And I think uh, part of that is because when you speak up, there is no real um, legal support to protect you. You know, in those meetings, uh, you can speak up and then you can get targeted and or not get a stipend or not get your extra period or your favorite class to teach or you might get switched. And so people just kind of sit back and are quiet. And that that's a problem for our committees. Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, you've been on you. I know you're on the ECC, right? The Compensation Committee. Have you ever served on the EBC or the yes. benefits? So, you know, you have kind of you know, broader experience, but my kind of experience, you know, and it, it seems like um, kind of from my smaller experience on, on such committees is that, you know, kind of the district shows up with the Titanic and then we're just asked to kind of rearrange the deck chairs. Um, is that, you know, like the decisions are the broader kind of larger, more significant decisions have already been made and then we're just here to kind of work out some details. Is that, yes. uh, is that I would a say fair that's characterization? Yeah. I would say that's very true. Uh, and, but, and I know other people, like they're gonna hear me say that and be like, no, that's not true, Amy, that's not true. But it really is, if we like take a moment and think about it, because part of the work of Senate or any representative is, you know, so you're going to like, we would go, you know, if I was in my standing meetings, or I'm going to lobby the perspective of, an, of a teacher. And same with like a Cubs representative and the CSEA representative, they're going to lobby their perspective. Um, so a lot of that happens outside of the meeting. And then, um, then you come into the committee and you could just, you watch it kind of play out that way. Like those were the conversations that you had in the standing meeting, you know, and it's presented to the wider committee. And then but that level of fear limits the discussion and limits the challenge of the idea that comes into the room. And, um, and so that, that's some work that needs to be done in this district big time. And so, you know, like back to faculty Senate here, right? Um, in this kind of the major kind of representative body uh, for at least teachers, obviously we've talked about some groups that are left out of that, um, that structure, but you know, what is, and you can just say yes or no here. Would, does Faculty Senate have anything to do with the EBC? Yes, there's members on there. You know, there's members on there. But is the EBC an arm of Faculty Senate? No, no. So you might be a member of Faculty Senate and then at the same time be a part of this other committee, but they're not connected in any meaningful yes. way. Yes. And then the ECC? they're not connected in any way right. we're, mem we're there's members on there so the president has a position on that committee and then you know the vice president I think I don't think every member 
every executive board member is on, on that committee. I could be wrong, but I, I, I don't think the, um, and it could have been by choice, like the people with release time were on every committee, but mm -hmm. the ones without release time, I think they had choice. But right. I also, there's another committee that we're not talking about. There's the standing benefits committee. And so that is a smaller group of people. And it's actually, a I don't know who's on that committee. Uh, it, um, they, they do the work of filtering through the benefit questions and analyzing a lot of the information. And then that gets presented to EBC and then EBC votes on that. I do respect that it's a private group, like you're not told mm. who's on there because they, if something is denied on our insurance, you can appeal it and that's the group that appeal, appeals it. So I would think that that would be really hard if you were a public person and you reject something, you know, that would be, and maybe that was somebody that's on your site and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm gonna, we, we decided not to do that. That would be a tough thing. But what I don't find understandable is that as an executive board, we don't pick who sits on these various committees. Mm -hmm. The president did. So as the vice president, I was never included in that meeting, which I find fascinating to, you know, he, he or she, whoever the president was, is at the time, they get to really decide who's on the committees. And so there were lots of decisions of, I, I would get lots of messages of people like, hey, I wanna be on the, um, the compensation committee. And so I'd bring their name forward as a Senator. And I was told, nope. And then some other person, there was no rational reason or process as to why these members were selected for the committees. And there's no rotation. And I think maybe that would help in that level of fear because people wouldn't know to be afraid. They'd be like, let me question, let me ask. Right. But, um, but it's a very stale process in my opinion. Um, and I think it lends itself to that good old boy system too. There's no process for how people are selected for those committees. Yeah, and I mean, obviously kind of true collaboration <laughs> engages in real dialogue, right? Even if you know, you know, people disagree, like disagreement is, is really important. And if you're mm -hmm. fearful that if you say something that disagrees with upper administration, that's going to lead to kind of the stale system that you're talking about. So, well, can I, can I want yeah, to just add ahead. one other thing too, you know, some people are going to hear that word fear and say, well, I'm not afraid, you know, and that doesn't discount that people are. Mm -hmm. You know, and I get it that you're not like, cause I was in that place, in that space, you know, and I, I, I've been really afforded an opportunity not to be necessarily afraid of speaking up and, and saying things, but I have to understand that um, there are our colleagues and there are a significant amount there. It, I wouldn't bring it up if I didn't think it was a significant amount that are, and it's not just teachers. It is across the, um, the, the educator spectrum in this district. Yeah. And so, so even if you hear that word fear and you're like, I'm not afraid, I want you to understand that I'm, I'm in that same space that you live in, but there is a significant amount of people that are. Yeah, I mean, definitely true that you and I have been in a lot of meetings over the course of the last couple of months. And you know, that fear comes through, <laughs> even through Zoom, you can feel it. Right, it's palpable, and uh, uh -oh. um, so 
Yeah. Um, uh oh. You okay on your end, internet? Yes. Yes, I'm good now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just kind of, we're going to end this conversation here, but we are taping, you know, like right now. And um, as the district is announcing its plans to kind of once again change the schedule, right? And this comes on the heels of, you know, at the last board meeting, um, publicly announcing that they would kind of, they wouldn't make a decision before talking to their employee groups, right? And then Faculty Senate put out a survey, right? And I, I mean, I'm assuming this is kind of that conversation that was being alluded to at the board meeting. Um, and almost, you know, 60% of teachers, you know, selected the option of, you know, we don't want another change, right? It's been a difficult year. And um, just another change is just here in April is just not something that, that you know, we want to kind of take on. Um, now, this is not to kind of debate the merits of bringing more kids back or changing the schedule. But I mean, we got to like at some point, right, the majority opinion has to have some weight, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, given that the majority said, you know, no to change at this point, what can faculty Senate do? Well, they can transfer the information from that survey to executive cabinet. That is it. And that's where, it, and then it's just in the hands of executive yes. cabinet. Yes, but what I would say to you, what was most disturbing to me about that data wasn't necessarily that it is gonna be dismissed or commented on about like, we hear you and we get it. You know, when I talked to people who filled that out, they were thinking about what is best for kids. Like we see our kids on our boxes mm -hmm. in our screen or in person. You know, and and so when they were filling that survey out, that that was that was what their mind frame was. What really disturbed me was the answer to question one, and I can't remember what it was, but it was in faculty senate notes, and it was something about basically what you're saying, which is that you know return to school in the survey results about it, and the implied message there was that our district will do what's best for kids, um, and. My question is, who's at the table deciding what's best for kids? That's what I got from that. And I thought to myself, I know um, there's so many people that have decided different decisions. Like, you know, the, the Kilburn kids have remained home uh, to do their distance learning and some kids have returned to campus. So those parents, both those parents have made a decision based on what's best for kids. And so when, when we, when we say that, the, the implied answer was that 60% of our teachers were making a choice that wasn't what's best for kids. Yeah. That, that was my takeaway. And I was, I was really offended by that because I, 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 every day when I'm making a decision for my class, my curriculum, I'm trying to think about what's best for kids, what's best for learning, the learning environment, and to be told in an, um, in an answer that if I think differently, than my leadership, then I am in the lane. It's very binary. If I think differently from my leadership, then I am in the lane of I'm not doing what's best for kids. Yeah. And that was that was the part that bothered me the most. Yeah, agreed. All right. So Amy, why are you signing the union support petition? 
I'm signing the union support petition for so many reasons and every once in a while it changes, but I'm signing it because I love this place and the answer should never be love it or leave it. How do you grow with that answer? That's just bonkers to me. I love it here. I think that you get better when you transform in an environment such as a pandemic. Um, and I also no longer want my colleagues to uh, work in an environment of fear. And I think that ACE can help with that. So that's why I'm signing it. All right. Thank you, Amy Kilburn. Okay. So welcome back, Amy. And Every week, we want to end by celebrating and honoring the amazing students that we have the privilege of serving. So you get the last word here just talking about your students. That's awesome. That's the best part of our job, right? Talking about our kids. Um, when this question came, I thought of so many kids. I just got a message from a former student of mine who's just finishing law school up in Oregon, and he wants me to be his reference. So I, you know, I'm just like, what I'm always humbled with um, when I start to talk about my students is that they still want to keep in touch with like their eighth grade AB teacher. Like who wants to talk to their eighth grade AB teacher or their fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade teacher? You know, I, and I have so many students that, um, that I keep in touch with. So even though I started down my path of becoming a teacher as not wanting to be a teacher, I'm so glad that I am because it is, and I've, I'm so thankful for these amazing relationships I have with these young people. So I'm going to tell you one story about one student of mine that it was, and this, the reason why this is the one that I thought of is, is because this was the story that made me really understand how influential we are with the work that we do. So I had this student in my class, his name was Nick, and he was in my fourth grade class. I took over in January, and then I moved with him to fifth grade, and then I moved with him to sixth grade. So I got to have him for three years. There's a handful of kids that I got to do that with, and I keep in touch with a lot of them. They're like now in their, I think, 30s maybe, you know? But I know it's crazy to me, maybe not 30s. Yeah, maybe they are. No, no, they're not. Anyway, um, and so he, when I, when he moved to middle school, I actually, that's when I left uh, the elementary school I was at, and I came to Rayburn. So I lost touch with some of these kids and that was really kind of devastating to me, but um, then I was able to reconnect with social media and just different things. And so I lost touch with Nick, but then I was driving by Clovis High one day and here he crawls out of a car window and he's like, Miss Gilburn. And I was like, Nick, you know, so we exchanged numbers and he, we went and had lunch and it turns out that Nick had dropped out, dropped out of school. He had gone down the, and he was like the straight A kid, you know, like it was crazy to me that I'm sitting across from a young man who was straight A's and now he's a dropout. And so he was like Kilburn, because they all call me Kilburn. Um, so yeah, I dropped out. I was doing some stuff. Um, and I know that this is not what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a doctor when I was in your class. I said, yeah, you did. That's a different pathway, isn't it? And he was like, yes. And so he said, I'm enlisting. And I, you know, this was during in the Afghan-Iraq war. And, and so I was like nervous and afraid. And he said, it's the only way forward for me to get my GED because I just have messed up. And so I'm going to get my, they're going to let me get my GED and I'm going to go. And I'm, my dad was a Marine and I can do this. And I said, okay. So I was like, all right. So, um, you know, I mean, not that my say would keep him from doing it. And that is an honorable, you know, path to take forward, but I was just afraid for him, you know? And so I didn't realize this, but when I started teaching, I, I had just turned 23. 
and because I got my birthdays in December and I got this class in January and they all wanted to call me Amy. And I had said, no, you cannot call me Amy. I am your teacher. It's a sign of respect. You must call me Miss Kilburn. But when you graduate, you can call me Amy. So goes to boot camp. He wrote to me a couple times. And then when he was graduating, he addressed the letter Amy, which was pretty dope. Like it was super cool. And he was like, I am going to graduate and I'm, then I'm going to off to war and my parents won't come to graduation. Will you come? And so I'm like, whoa, you know, he's in Georgia. I'm in California teaching at, you know, I think I must've, I was at Rayburn at the time. And so I figured it out. And I, I was like, why are your parents not coming? And his mom was afraid to fly. So I reached out to his mom. His mom was able to get a ticket. So his mom and I went out. And when we got there, he handed me his dog tag. That was gross and dirty, by the way, because he said I wore it all the way through boot camp, Kilburn, because every time I got to an obstacle, I heard your voice in my head saying, I could do this. I could do this. And I'm standing there thinking, this is a young man. Like I was his fourth, fifth, and sixth grade teacher, you know. And I, I, he carried my voice with him as he was going through this stuff. And um, that humbled me to no end. It reminded me that not just the stuff that we teach out of the book to them, but the stuff that we say to our young people matters so much to them in their life. And so he did, he went off right after graduation, which was a very interesting, intense graduation. You know, they come in and they show you the skills that they've made. It was really cool, totally different than a Clovis High graduation. And, um, and then he went off, he survived. He has climbed his way up through the military, won accolades, won awards, medals. I've been able to keep in touch with him and now he's living in Colorado and has a family. And I just, am, I carry his dog tag with me in my wallet. And so I see it every day as a reminder of the impact that we have as educators. And that is my student story for you. Amy, that is an amazing story. Right, it, like it is definitely humbling, kind of to know, kind of how they carry you with them throughout mm -hmm. their lives. Yeah, man. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, Amy Kilburn. Thank you, Jason Roach. Clovis educators and all of you out there that have tuned in, we thank you for joining us in the conversation. To engage further, you can find us at www.cloviseducators.org and at our Instagram handle, at Clovis Educator. Remember, there is nothing wrong about having this conversation. You cannot legally be punished for participating, asking questions, listening to this podcast, attending a meeting, and ultimately, if you choose to, signing the union support petition. These are your legally protected rights. We are ACE, we love Clovis Unified, and we will see you next time on the ACE Podcast.